Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release on the air. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Almost a year ago, as a staff, we took a, an assessment. Uh, you guys love these personality assessments, you know, like Myers-Briggs and Enneagram. And there's all these assessments, right, that you can take to understand more of who you are. Uh, so we took this assessment uh, by the table group known as the Working Genius. Now, the Working Genius basically breaks down uh, the way you function uh, in a team down to one of six things, okay? So I want to read these to you. They're, they're, they, they go from one end of, of beginning of project to the end, okay? To the other end. So the first one is wonder. If you have uh, the working genius of wonder, wonder means that you dream about what could be. Anybody have, think you have wonder? You're just constantly heading the clouds. What could be? You know, why is it that way? What if it was different? The next one is invention. And you're able to come up, you're able to take somebody's wonder, somebody who asks the questions, you're able to take that and, you're, and you can come up with some possible solutions. You can, you're able to, to invent things. The next one is discernment. So once the inventor has come up with a whole bunch of possible solutions, somebody with discernment has the ability to go, well, that one won't work, that one won't work, but that one would be a great solution. Then there's galvanizing. So once we've decided, we've discerned what the, the, the right solution is, galvanizing is someone who's able to go, okay, team, let's go. Let's get on board. This is going to be exciting. We're going to make a difference and all that, right? All these are important. Uh, enablement is the next one. You're somebody that comes along after the team has been galvanized and you're able to work in somebody else's uh, framework. You're able to, like, we might call that the spiritual gift of like helps, right? You come along and you can make things go and the last one is tenacity. And this is somebody who works until the job is done. Now, maybe you can figure out where you are in those, but the premise of all these is that the two of these are a working genius for you. It just comes naturally. You don't have to think about it. You do it really, really well. It's super life-giving to you. Then there are two of them that are working competency. You know, you can act in them. You can work that way. Uh, but it takes a little bit of energy and you know, it's not, it's not your favorite thing to do, but you can do it. And then there are what they call working frustrations. These are the things that you don't do well at all. Now, I was not surprised when we took the assessment as to what came out for me. I bet a number of you could probably guess. The first one that came out for me was wonder. I'm always asking why. If you hang around me long enough, I just sit here and go, I wonder if we could do this. I wonder if we could do that. This would be a cool thing. What about that? Why don't we think about this? Right? Anybody, you've been around me long enough to go, this is annoying. My wife has been around long enough to know that this is annoying. Uh, the other one that I had was discernment. So after I've dreamed about what could be and somebody gave me some options, I can go, that one will work, that one won't work. So I wasn't really surprised, but one of the things that I realized, and maybe you guys would know this, some of you have been around me, is tenacity was like my worst. My ability to follow through on almost anything down in the basement, right? Uh, my wife, on the other hand, is on the other end. She's like, why can't we just get it done? Let's just get the things done. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that wants to take a break 
as soon as we thought about it. She's like, but the work still has to be done. Anybody tenacity? Anybody like, yeah, we got we to gotta work till it's done. And so uh, I have, quite honestly, very little capacity to actually finish something. It's really hard for me to do. It's hard for me not to like reinvent and go, you know, I get about halfway down the project and I'm like, we could do this better. What if we did this? And I have a real hard time getting things done. And so for a long time, I, I felt like, wow, I'm, I'm just a failure. I need to figure out how to get things done. I make lists, right? And I got to make my list and get it all done. And so one of the things that this helped me to understand is that we all, uh, that we're, we're part of a team. And I would imagine most visionary leaders are dreamers like I am, right? That we can come up with a lot of ideas, but the idea that we would actually finish something, it kind of gets left to somebody else. And, and so what, what I've realized is that vision is really important, but so is work, right? Vision's really important because it gives meaning to the work that we do. Work is really important, but it goes nowhere without vision, right? These things are, they all work together. As we've been talking in, in the book of Nehemiah at the beginning, we talked the first few weeks about how Nehemiah is this visionary, right? He's this visionary leader. God has given him a vision. He shows up to Jerusalem. We're going to rebuild the wall. He's super excited. He's probably a lot like I am. Might get the work started, but probably won't finish it unless somebody comes along with some tenacity and finishes the project, right? And so we've been studying this book because Nehemiah uh, is a really good uh, story or account of a way that you can get kingdom things done. And in our lead up to our September 26th grand opening, we really felt like it would be something that would be really helpful uh, to us to, to take some lessons to build towards this grand opening. And so uh, Nehemiah, of course, he galvanizes the, the whole of Jerusalem to rebuild the wall in 52 days. Today, though, we're going to look at how Nehemiah's vision became a reality in a message I'm calling, How Kingdom Work Gets Done. How Kingdom Work Gets Done. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to turn uh, and look at Scripture. And so, God, I do pray that You would continue to move in this place. God, that You would put Your words in my mouth. And Lord, I do pray that the things that I say would be glorifying to Your name. Lord, would you, would you empower us? Spirit of God, would You empower us to do the work that You've called us to do in this Fill me now with Your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Nehemiah 3, if, you, if you're there, great. If you're not, flip there. Uh, and while you're doing that, I just want to say, if you've never read Nehemiah chapter 3, it's terrifying to be a preacher who's going to preach Nehemiah 3. Have you glanced at it yet? number of you glanced at it? Have you tried to read any of the names in Nehemiah 3? So bear with me, okay? We're going we're gonna to do this together. And I, got, I printed it big. My eyes are getting hard to, hard to, to read, especially rough names. So I'm going to try to read these for you and, and, uh, and bear with me, please. So verse 1 says this, Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, 
made repairs, and next to him Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joiada, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Besoida. Easy enough. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, Meladiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, the son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Haniah, one of the perfume makers, and uh, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Raphiah, son of Hur, a ruler of half-district of Jerusalem, made repaired, uh, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, the son of Haramath, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. Malchijah, son of Haram, and Hasab, son of Pehath Moab, repaired another section, and the Tower of the Oven. Now, I'm not going to read all of this because some of you are probably like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can tolerate you trying to mess these names up. Right? Any of you, you know, you go to school and they're trying to like pronounce your name. And they're like, I'm butchering this. But you kind of get the point that this goes through over and over and over. And there's a long list of people's names. They build uh, gates. They build wall. And when you read through this passage of Scriptures, 32 verses, when you read through this, it feels like this long list of just another list of names. Anybody ever read begats, right? So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And you sort of glaze over, right? Any of you ever try to get to like, you get to the book of Numbers and they start with the names and you're just like, forget it. Everybody that's ever tried to read the Bible, that's where they, they fall off, right? You read it to cover to, you get to, Nehem, or you, get to uh, you get to Numbers and it falls off. This just feels like another list of names. And on the, from a preaching perspective, you might look at this and on the surface go, well, this is just something we skip, right? Let's just sum it up and we can go to chapter 4 and we just say in chapter 3 it talks about how they rebuilt the wall. Right? I mean, and that would be maybe the safest thing to do. It would be easiest for me at least. But the question as students of the Bible that we would all have to ask is why is this here? That's the question we always have to ask when we read Scripture. Why is this here? Certainly Nehemiah could have summed it up, right? You know, we're just going along talking about this thing and he could have gotten summed this up in, you know, one or two sentences. All the people worked on their sections of the wall and we completed it in 52 days, right? We could just sum it up. Or, if he really intended this to be a list of names, a laundry list of names, he could have said, the wall was completed in 52 days. Here are the names of the people who worked on it. But he doesn't do that. And the question we have to answer is, why? Why is it so important that Nehemiah goes through and says, this is the person who worked on this section. This is, the sec- this is the section that was worked on by these people. There's something that matters there. It's, it's in the Scriptures for a reason. Let me make a few observations from having read the first 32 verses. And I don't know, I, I write these. Every time I uh, go to preach a passage, I hand write it out of the book. This was a hard one. It's like 40 minutes of writing and my hand doesn't like that. But there's a couple of things that I want you guys to, to know. Nowhere in the whole of chapter 3 does Nehemiah refer to himself. 
Nowhere, there is a Nehemiah in, in verse 16, but it's a different person. Nowhere does Nehemiah refer to himself. The list contains both men and women. It's not just all men. The list contains priests, district rulers, leaders, and ordinary people. In other words, it's all social classes that are working on this project. The list contains the people from a variety of careers and trades. Not just one, it's not just you know, stone workers or woodworkers. It's all kinds of people. And the list contains people who are inside the wall of Jerusalem as well as outside of the wall. Now, one of the big things on display here is that the kingdom in the kingdom of God, people matter. People matter. Tim Keller, some of you guys will know that name. He uh, was the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in, uh, in New York City. Tim Keller, uh, he points out that this is the point uh, in the redemptive story of the Bible that things shift. Like in the past, like if you look at the beginning part of, of the Bible, right? It's all about the superheroes, right? You got Abraham and his whole family. You got Isaac, his whole family. You got Jacob, his whole family, right? You got Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? You got Moses, right? We're going to lead him out of slavery. And it's all about what big name people do for God. But here in Nehemiah 3, something shifts. Nehemiah captures the names of all the people who did something significant for God, and it's not the big name people. And you may not know that that's, a, that that's a big deal, but if you follow along, chronologically, Nehemiah is one of the last books of the Old Testament. Now I know in your Bible, if you read the Old Testament, you go, well, after Nehemiah's other things. There's a whole bunch of other things. But chronologically, if you put it in order, Nehemiah is one of the latest Old Testament books. And so if you look right after that, essentially you show up and Jesus shows up. And what does Jesus do? Well, he's kind of a big name guy, but what's he doing? All the time, he's sending people out in the authority to do the kingdom of God thing. And if you fast forward a little bit further, you have Paul who's planting all these churches and releasing all these people to do all these things. And eventually you get to 1 Corinthians and Paul's like, everybody's got a gift given by the Holy Spirit. Everybody gets to play. Nehemiah chapter 3 is sort of this shift from where the kingdom of God comes through one person to where the kingdom of God begins to come through people. Lots of people. Ordinary people. And what's the point? The point is this. In the kingdom of God, everybody has a role to play and nobody plays on their own. Everybody has a role to play and nobody plays on their own. This thing that we do here is important. Is really important. There's no way to do kingdom life apart from being a part of a body. Because every one of us is given a gift and is given a role that we're supposed to exercise as part of a body. Every last one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, has been given a, a gift by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. Paul says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. So uh, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. You all are important. There's no throwaway people in the kingdom. Do you know that? Do you know that there's no throwaway people in the kingdom? 
that everybody has a role to play. If you've given your life to Jesus, the Spirit of God has given you a role to play. And you have to play it. What this means is that you have a gift that matters within the body of Christ. You have a gift that matters. And can I just be really blunt? We all need you to play your role. Do you know that if you choose not to play your role, it's not just you just sort of got a week off. We all suffered. Do you recognize that? Your participation in the body of Christ matters. The role that you play matters. Some of you have been given a gift of hospitality. God has given you the gift to see the person who doesn't feel welcome, the person who feels awkward and they're not really sure if they fit, they're not really sure if they belong, and you see that person and you go make them feel valued. That describes a number of you in this room. You have a gift of hospitality. And God has given you that to be used for the sake of the body. We need you to exercise your gift. Some of you have been given a gift of leadership. Whatever room, whatever circle you're in, everybody just looks at you whenever there's a question, right? Some of you know that, right? We're not sure what to do, and the leader is the one that everybody looks at and says, what are we going to do? Some of you are like, oh, that's what that is. I just thought... <laughs> I just thought I was the one that couldn't keep my mouth shut. No, everybody looks at you because you're the leader. That's how that works. It doesn't matter. If I put my hands on you and say, you're the leader, but nobody looks to you for leadership, it doesn't matter what I call you. You're not the leader, right? Just because somebody's called the leader doesn't actually mean they're the leader of the group. Some of you have been given a gift of leadership, and we need you to exercise that gift. It matters. Good leadership matters. We talked about that last week. Some of you have a gift of healing. Some of you, whenever you see something wrong, someone's sick, somebody's injured, your heart is turned immediately that God would heal them. And you pray, and more than most people, when you pray, people get healed. We need you to exercise that gift. We need you to exercise that gift. Some of you can discern the spirits that are active in people. Some of you, maybe you haven't recognized it, but you can see somebody and you can tell what spirit they're operating under. Whether this is the Holy Spirit or this is some other spirit, you can tell, right? Some of you just think that you're crazy and you're just like, I don't know, I just think they're weird, they, they're real anxious. Or I just think they, you know, they're just angry people. You can discern what's happening. And guess what? The body of Christ needs you to operate in discernment of spirits that you might participate in the deliverance of God. You get this. You have a gift that matters. Some of you have a gift of service. You're naturally inclined. I mean, I mean that's a lot of you guys. I, I just, just from my own experience. You're naturally inclined to help when there's a need. We need you to operate in that gift. The kids ministry needs you to operate in that gift. You don't have to teach in kids ministry. You can hand out a snack and be crowd control. Gift of service. That's what you need. We have people who can teach kids ministry. But we do need people who can help facilitate, right? Maybe whatever gift it is that you have, the body of Christ needs it. Some of you have been given a gift of generosity that you just give. Sometimes out of your abundance, sometimes out of your poverty, but you're just generous. We need your gift. 
So in the kingdom of God, everyone has a role to play. And in the kingdom of God, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Take a look again at verse 1 with me. Eliashib the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. Chapter 3 covers this whole rebuilding project of the entire wall around the city of Jerusalem. Anybody ever been there? Have you been to Jerusalem? Who's been to Jerusalem? A handful. A couple of you. Three of you. It's not a very big place. And so they build this wall all the way around, and the, the whole of chapter 3 covers, if you follow it, it's just sort of a counterclockwise track around Jerusalem. And he could have started anywhere. Right? Nehemiah could have started anywhere. He could have just started with, you know, the bottom or the, the top or the side. And he, you know, I mean, even in chapter 2, Nehemiah rides out the valley gate. Why does he not start there? That's on the west side. The reason he doesn't start there is something that we might miss. He starts with the priests because they're significant that they build the sheep gate. The sheep gate is on the northeast side of the wall, right north of the temple. And this is the, the, the gate through which sac- sheep would have come through for sacrifice. So there's a significance here for the sake of, of sacrifices. And when the priests finish uh, building their section, it says they dedicated the wall. Now, nowhere in the rest of chapter 3 does any section of the wall get dedicated. You can read all the way down through. The only part that gets dedicated is the, the part that the priests do. And the, the word, the Hebrew word there is kadash which basically means, actually literally means, to declare it holy. The priests declare their whole section of the wall holy. And what it means for something to be declared as holy is that it's set apart for a purpose. Right? The wall is an inanimate object. It's not about morality. Holiness is not necessarily about morality. Holiness is being declared, set apart for a purpose. So they set this wall apart for a purpose and they declare it as such. Now, let me give you a little bit of illustration what that means. When I was a kid, I wanted a Super Nintendo so bad. So bad. It's a good thing my parents aren't here because they, they, it probably is a traumatic thing. I begged and begged and begged for a Super Nintendo. My parents were not going to buy me a Super Nintendo. So they said, you can save up your money and you can buy your own Super Nintendo. So I mowed lawns, I got a paper route, and I had this envelope that I kept, and I just every bit of money just got stashed. It got set apart for this Super Nintendo. And I stashed it over and over and over. And the only thing the money had to do to serve the purpose that it was set apart for was go into the cash register so that I could get my Super Nintendo. The money was holy unto a Super Nintendo. Do you see what I'm making? The point I'm making though? The money itself is whatever, but it's set apart for a purpose. That's what it means to be holy. The, the priests declared, declared the gates and the towers they rebuilt as holy to the Lord. So while the whole project was to rebuild a wall, yes, for protection, yes, for separation from the world, primarily it was a spiritual purpose that it served. That, that the sacrifices on the altar could resume. That everything, when it came uh, to the rest of the construction of the wall, was a spiritual endeavor. Yes, it had physical things. Yes, it had other reasons that it was there. But it was a spiritual endeavor. Why does that matter? 
When you come into relationship with Jesus, one of the things that happens is you give Jesus all of your sinfulness. You hand it over. And what Jesus does is He hands over all of His righteousness. And He declares you holy. He says you are set apart for a purpose. You are set apart for God's purpose on your life. He declares you holy. And from that moment on, everything that you do, whatever else it is, is also spiritual. Whatever else you do, maybe it's physical, I'm working out, right? But there's also a spiritual component, right? Because my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I've been going to the gym every day. That's a good one. Right? There, there are maybe emotional things that I do, but it's also spiritual. We tend to separate what we do into components and we say, well, this is my emotional life and this is my mental life and this is my physical life and I have my spiritual life over here and never, the, never they cross. But when you give your life to Jesus and He declares you holy, He declares you set apart for God's purposes in your life, which means everything that you do is also spiritual. There's not a thing in your life that's not also spiritual if you're a follower of Jesus. This is a really important thing to understand. You see, if you're not connected to Jesus, the purpose in your life is limited. Right? Those of you who are in college, the purpose of your education, if you're not connected to Jesus, is what? It's to prepare you for a job so that you can make money, right? That's all the more it can be. And when you get your job, that job is for what purpose? To give you money so that you can live your life. The purpose in your life is limited, but when you surrender your life to Jesus, everything, because it's also spiritual, now has infinitely more purpose. That there's no limit to the purpose on your life when you're a follower of Jesus. See, you go to school and your school is not just going to school, your school is also a ministry assignment. That you might display everywhere you go what the kingdom of God is like. The way you conduct yourself in class, the way that you pray for the people in your class, the way that your professors see that you're honest, that you work hard, it's all a ministry. The purpose of your life is limitless when you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can chase all kinds of things and never find yourself fulfilled. You can get that car you always wanted and then a better car comes. You can chase the, you can climb the corporate ladder to get to the top and say, is this it? Is this all the more there is? Certainly there's got to be more than this. Right? I think a lot of times we think about like this thing of following Jesus is really just for the down and outers, but you know it's also for the up and out. Surrendering your life to Jesus gives everything infinitely more purpose. This means everything has spiritual significance because you're set apart for God's purpose. You're set apart for God's purposes. So everyone has a role. Everything is spiritual. And the last thing I want to point out is everyone is responsible for their own sphere of influence. If you read through Nehemiah 3, it's interesting to pay attention to what happens. The priests are assigned to work on the part that actually deals with the temple. The, the, the district rulers are assigned to the parts of the wall that, that touch their district. 
the people are assigned to the parts of the wall that are right outside their front door or across the street from their house. Everybody in this story, in this account, is working on something that they're personally invested in. Everyone is working on their own sphere of influence. This is a picture of how the kingdom of God is supposed to work. Everyone is given an assignment that's relevant to your own life. You know, I think we one of the downsides, in my perspective, from 24-hour news and from social media is that the world wants us to care about everything, right? The world wants us to jump on every cause, to care about every little thing. You always got to post the right thing. If you haven't said something about what happened on social media, somehow you're complicit, right? That there's something about all of this that makes us want to care about everything, and yet God has called us to a specific place. That we all have a ministry assignment that we're, that we're, uh, that we're responsible for. And what this means is that the places and the spheres that we find ourselves in are not accidents. The place that you work at is not an accident. God has placed you there. It's a ministry assignment from the Lord. So much energy in our lives gets wasted wishing we were somewhere else. Anybody do that? Man, I just wish I I hate this job. I want to be somewhere. If I could just have this other job, everything would be okay. Right? Man, if I could just live in a different neighborhood, everything would be okay. My neighborhood's so overrun with drugs and all this violence and everything. Man, if I could just live in a different state, you know? one with a different governor, or one with a different health department, then everything would be okay. So much of our time gets wasted wishing we were somewhere else when God has placed you in a ministry assignment. You're not there by accident. You know, we're wishing we graduated and got out of school. Just get out of school, then my life would be. And yet God has you there for a purpose. Until God moves you somewhere else, you still have purpose. You still have things that you're supposed to be working for. Your neighborhood is not the place that your house just happens to be located in, and your neighbors are not just people to be tolerated. That God actually has you there for a reason. That you have a role everywhere that you are that we demonstrate what the kingdom of God is like everywhere that we are. There's a purpose for every place that you're in. Parenthood. Those of you parents, I want to talk to you for a second. Parenthood is not something to be endured until you can get back to your real life. That's a ministry assignment and it matters a whole lot. There's a reason that we pray for these kids as they go every day and we clap for them every time they leave. The ministry assignment that you've been given as parents is important. That you would raise kids who know, love, and follow Jesus. You know, kids don't get a junior Holy Spirit. There's not a junior Holy Spirit, the little version, right? That's, that's just for the kids. No, kids get the real thing. Can you imagine what it would look like? We complained about schools. You know, we saw the stuff on the news. The kid get beat up in high school and you know, second day of school and goes to the hospital. Can you imagine what would happen if we released 
a whole bunch of kids into the school district who are filled with the Holy Spirit who could bring the kingdom of God everywhere. They Can you imagine what would happen? We can complain about the school district if we want. We can complain about how school works. Or we can send equipped kids into the school. Your assignment as parents matters. My assignment as a parent matters. We don't have to just complain about it. It's a ministry assignment that matters. And God has entrusted you with that assignment. It's what it is to be a parent. You would train your kids to know, love, and follow Jesus. And the cool thing is, is kids pray with all the passion and faith that we wish we had. You ever been prayed for by a kid? Every time my daughter prays for me, my heart just... And she's like, we're, yesterday I was you know, feeling overwhelmed and um, I get inside of my head and then I can't get out. And then um, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. And she goes, Daddy, when we get inside, I'll pray for you. Like, kids pray with faith that we wish we had. Your assignment as a parent, your assignment as a grandparent, any time that you're in proximity to a kid where you have influence, your, your assignment as a teacher, your assignment as campus ministers, is to see kids come to know Jesus. That they might change the places that they inhabit. You're not there by accident. You're not, you're not in that awful workplace where everybody does immoral things by accident. You're your role is to demonstrate what the kingdom of God is like. Place. You have an assignment. In the kingdom of God, everybody has work to do. And the biggest things in the kingdom of God happen when it's not done by celebrity people or the big front runner or the big name. I would say some of the most important things that are happening in this city are happening by people who will never make the cover of the, the newspaper. I think that that's what we're supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be. Friends, as we're looking forward to September 26th, the reason we're inviting people is because we want to see a, a city change. We want to see a generation change. We want to see the kingdom of God come in this city as it is in heaven. And we're not going to stop until we see it until Jesus returns or, or we see the kingdom of God come, right? That's the whole point. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.